Coming up on Philosophy Talk, language in action. Hey, your wife uh, interested in uh, photography, eh? Photographs, eh? How come we understand each other so well with so few words? Holidays, Ned. Could be, could be, could be taken on holidays, swimming costumes, candy, candy photography. No, we don't have a camera. Oh, still. Sometimes you can say a lot with very few words. Look, are you insinuating something? Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. Words of nuance, words of skill, and words of romance are a pill. Words are stupid, words are fun. Words can put you on the run. Where does the literal meaning of a word end and all of its subtle connotations begin? Our guest is French social and cognitive scientist Dan Sperber. Say no more, say no more. Know what I mean? Nudge, nudge. Language in action. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. After the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local, innovative public radio for San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the beautiful Stanford campus. And from that oasis of thought, we migrate to this oasis of the air, and from the air to the Internet via our blog, theblog.philosophytalk.org. And now you can check out uh, the best of Philosophy Talk, our podcast, anytime, anywhere. You know, Ken, before we get started, I've, I've got a question. I'm a little confused. We had that little conversation with the station manager, and he said they don't want sax and violins on the radio. But what's wrong with saxophones and violins? Why are they any worse on public radio than trumpets and guitars? John, John, you you misunderstood what he said. You misunderstood the words he used. It wasn't sax and violins. It was sex and violence. He doesn't want sex and violence on the radio. Oh, never mind. But wait a minute. Violence is bad anywhere. I'm against violence. But what's wrong with sex on the radio? It sounds very uncomfortable, particularly on the little radios they have nowadays. But on the old radios you had when I was a kid, it wouldn't be so bad. And it seems to me it's not any of public radio's business where people have sex. I don't even think sex with a radio is against the law, at least not in California. <laughs> John, you misunderstood again. On doesn't mean on top of in this context. It means broadcast on. Oh. I get it. He doesn't what? want sex and violence broadcast on the radio. I get it. I get it. What he said was that public radio doesn't want sex and violence broadcast. That seems clear enough. But now, why did he tell us that? Was he afraid that you would attack me during the show or that we would... Uh, uh, stop right there. He wasn't suggesting that we would engage in violence or, heaven forbid, sex during the show. He had a completely different purpose in saying that. He was trying to alert us to what kinds of topics he wants to see on future shows. That's what he was talking about. Gosh, I misunderstood him in almost every way yeah, possible. Almost every way, but you, for, here's what you did. First, you misidentified the words. That's a matter of the phonology. Once you got that straightened out, you understood the meanings of all the individual words. That's semantics. You got that right. But some words like on are ambiguous, and you managed to pick out the wrong meaning for on. That's a matter of figuring out the speaker's intention, so you, you really didn't know what he was saying. And then finally, 
Once you got all that straightened out, you were still wrong about why he was saying it, what he was saying, what he was trying to achieve. That's pragmatics, and that's what we're going to talk about today, pragmatics. Well, you know, there is really a connection between pragmatics and sex, at least, if not violence. The sexual message is often carried in how someone says something rather than what they say. If Mae West says, why don't you come up and see me sometime, you don't just think she's asking you to her office hours. <laughs> Good. Interesting you should mention Mae West because uh, she had quite a way with words that illustrates just what we're talking about. And our roving philosophical reporter, Polly Stryker, went out and channeled Mae West. She files this report. Mae West's language had a subtext that's unforgettable. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. The mores of the 1920s and 30s forced her to use the double entendre that became her signature. Don't forget, come up and see me sometime. Double entendre was a popular vaudevillian comedic style. That's Jill Watts, professor of history at California State University, San Marcos. She's the author of Mae West, an icon in black and white. She really gains her voice and becomes popular after she begins to appropriate African-American performance styles. It goes beyond double entendre in the African-American community and becomes a double voice. Then also she borrowed it heavily from African-American blues performance, too, which is full of double entendre. West got into trouble with the censors early in her career. I think because she was such a controversial performer, avenues for her performance dry up, and so she writes her own plays. And the first play that she writes and produces is the play Sex. And it ran for a year until it was raided and shut down, and then she was placed on trial for staging an indecent production. And the thing that alarmed people from the beginning when it opened, just the name alone, Sex, was so blunt for the period of time. And she advertised the play with billboards that said Sex with Mae West. She went to Hollywood in 1932 and ran right into the Hayes Code. These production rules, designed to keep talkies clean, forced her to bury her sexually liberated message in her lines. Here's an exchange she wrote into her 1932 film, Night After Night. Goodness, what beautiful diamonds. Goodness had nothing to do with it, dearie. How about this dialogue from the 1933 film, I'm No Angel? Uh, you were wonderful tonight. I'm always wonderful at night. A guy what takes his time. The censors went to great lengths to crack down on Mae West from 1934 on. Initially, they scrutinized her scripts, and then they realized, and Mae West herself said this was the key, it wasn't what she said, but it was how she said it and how she looked when she said it. And so they, next they stationed a man on the set to listen to her and watch what she's doing. Finally, they realized they've got to really crack down on her and scrutinize the lines, the dialogue, and view every clip. But the censors didn't catch everything. One of the films that was in, in 35, and this is after the censorship office is really up and running in a very efficient way, was the film Klondike Annie, and it was where Mae West masquerades as a missionary in order to get away from a murder charge. She, in that movie, was able to slip in the line. Oh, well, I'm caught between two evils. I generally like to take the one I never tried. Mae West was going to play Mae West and write her parts the way she wanted to write them, and that was very important, because Mae West is really all about language, if you think about it. She really can't play other people's lines. West even pushed the limits when she did radio, getting banned from the airwaves for several years. One of the things that all Hollywood stars did was promote their movies by going on the radio. And in the later 30s, in 1937, she was recruited to come on the Chase and Sanborn radio hour to appear with Edgar Bergen. And 
appear in a skit called Adam and Eve. And this is what really demonstrates Mae West's use of language. She got the script, and it was a script they'd actually played before. She plays Eve opposite Donna Michi, who played Adam. It was how she delivered the script that got her into trouble. Here you had Mae West, the salacious Eve, offering Adam a bite of the apple. And the switchboard lit up. Mae West became so tired of this scrutiny that she said she couldn't even order a cup of coffee without somebody looking for hidden meaning. Yet her films seem tame by today's standards. She's not at all very sexual. There's very limited physical context. All of the beauty of this is it's all done through language. It's all what she says and how she says it. And it's this courting ritual that's done through words. I'll never forget you. No one ever does. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.